I just want you to know that every time I, I stand up here, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to stand up here and speak for the God who loved me and chose me and redeemed me. I, I want to start off this morning with a passage from 2 Kings chapter 7, if you want to turn there. Um, and now as the chapter opens up, the city of Samaria, the northern kingdom, is under uh, a siege. It's been under a siege for several months. You see the the king of the Arameans, Ben-Hadad, had gathered his entire army and he surrounded the city of Samaria. And it was a brutal siege. Food was scarce, people were starving, and what little food there was was sold for an outrageous price. And scripture even records that it was so bad that people inside the city had resorted to cannibalism. If we, be, we read at 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning... 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning at verse 3. I need to breathe. I got so much I want to say, and I want to say it all at once, but you can only say like one word at a time, unfortunately. If you can say more than one word at a time, that would really work out well for me. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Now there are four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but... But the famine in the city will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. And if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the, the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried out to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Now, now talk about a very fortunate turn of events. From famine to feast, from certain death to life, from despair to joy, from desperation to celebration, from having nothing to having everything. And I want you to really try to picture that scene in your mind. I mean, if you were one of those lepers, how would you be feeling right now? What would you be doing? <laughs> right? Okay. And now if you have that picture in your mind, I, I want you to move your mouse over and click save as. And then I want you to minimize it because we're going to pick that story up a little bit down the road. Uh, let's pray together. And I think today's a good day to pray with palms open, symbolic of we're ready to receive from God. Uh, Father, we humbly come into your presence. Uh, you are the king. This is your world. We are your church. We are your people. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts willing to respond with, yes, Lord, yes. Uh, Father, I pray that you enable me to speak your truth in the way that you want it spoken. God, we love you. We thank you for your live and active word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's finally here. The last message in our sermon series, Becoming the Church He Intended. Message number 18. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, 
the rock of who I am, the rock of the person that I am, Jesus, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the forces of Hades will not overpower it. But listen, though, I want to be clear that this may be the final conversation in this series, but it's really just the beginning of our intentional and passionate pursuit of becoming the church and the people that he wants us to be. Brothers and sisters, if there, if an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, eternal God exists, and he does, and if this God created, shaped, formed, and breathed life into you, and he did, and if this, and if this God is sovereign and in charge of everything in heaven and on earth, and he is, and if this eternal God who created you, who is sovereign, has a plan, a purpose, a mission, if he has an intent for your life, and for this church, and he does, then that is the life you're created to live. And that is the life that you must pursue. Why? Because this life that God created you to live is the very reason for your existence. I'm reading, currently reading a book called The Last Arrow by Erwin McManus. And this is the back flap of the book. Before you die, live the life you were born to live. When you come to the end of your days, you'll not measure your life based on successes and failures. All of those will eventually blur into a single memory called life. What will, you, what will give you solace is a life with nothing left undone. One that's been lived with relentless ambition, a heart on fire, and with no regrets. On the other hand, what will haunt you until your final breath is who you could have been, but never became, and what you could have done, but never did. You see, the church that Jesus intends is full of people who are determined that before they die, that they're going to live the life they were born to live. I mean, seriously, like, what in the world could we ever pursue that would matter more than that? Than living a life on mission, on purpose. And, and the way we're defining that and illustrating that at Maple Grove is this diagram we've been unpacking for several weeks. And it's our intention to, to you know, to, to make, belong, grow, and serve, and engage to be our roadmap, to be our, our GPS, if you will, for living the life that we were born to live. A life lived on mission begins with belong. It begins with belonging to God as we surrender our lives to him. A, a life lived on mission belongs, begins with belonging to God and belonging to his family. A, a life lived on mission, it, it deepens with grow. As we commit and develop these six habits of spiritual growth that we talked about, you see, these habits are things that you can do by direct effort that will enable you to experience what you cannot experience by direct effort. That would be transformation and radical life change. Things like regular church attendance, doing life together, spending time in God's word. Now, I don't have a new faith comes from hearing reading program, but for the next three weeks, I like for us who like to do it, you know, we're going to read the gospel of John. 21 chapters, it'll take us three weeks to do that. The habit of talking to God in prayer, having a regular quiet time, giving generously to his church. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you, if you do them. And, and, and by the way, guys, uh, 
other than life groups, another way for men to do life together. Alden Pierce is starting a new Bible study. I love the name because, guys, we're full of this. Uh, it, it's called No Excuses, right? It's called No Excuses. It begins uh, two weeks from this coming Tuesday. He'll be over there at the kiosk um, after church. And it's about, hey, guys, let's just drop our excuses and become the men that God wants us to be in our homes, in our families, in our churches, and talk to Alden. And he'd love to have you be there. Next, a life lived on mission expresses itself and serve, right? As we use our unique talents, gifts, and abilities, personality, and experiences to serve his church. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every support and ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And finally, a life lived on mission ex- expresses itself and it unleashes the favor and power of God through engage. By showing compassion, by, by sharing our story. And on the 22nd of September, we looked at the Bible and we saw that from Genesis to Revelation, God had always called his people to show compassion, to care more for his world. And last week as a church on Compassion Sunday, we did just that. We cared more. We made a difference. Our light left this building and it shined at Ronald McDonald House, the Laurels, um, Ruckersville Elementary, Love, Inc., I'm writing cards, and uh, I got just, just one, so many stories people tell me all week long, but here, here, here's just one. At the Laurels, you know, Pam McClish was sharing with me how she was in a room with a guy who has, is in hospice, and the guy is dying, and he's not able to talk and communicate, and Pam had these scriptures that she was passing out, and she passed it out to this gentleman, several of them, and he, he couldn't get them folded in his hand, and he asked her to do that, and as she left the room, this man who was dying held three scriptures tightly in his hands as she walked out of the room, wanting to hold on to God's word. That's light shining in, in our world, Amen. And this morning, we're going to unpack the second ingredient to engage in a conversation I'm calling, you know, sharing your story. But before we do that, I just want to remind you that today's also Decision Sunday. We've been talking about this for several weeks. A bunch of us met in this room last night praying about this, that God would move in the hearts and minds of people in this room, that the Holy Spirit would come and that he would motivate and he would convict right? It's his job, not, not my job to do that. And, and that he would break down every barrier you know, take, to taking that next step in living our life on mission. And I think a couple of barriers are fear, right? You, we don't know. Hey, you step out and serve. Well, do I have the time to do that? You know, you just don't know, right? I think another barrier is pride, right? Well, you know, sometimes we're like, well, I'm not going to take a step because Steve is telling me to take the next step. And, you know, no, you need to ask God what God would like you to do. And listen, everybody in this room, if you're still breathing, unless you've arrived already and are living fully the life God created you to live, there's, there's a step you need to take. Get it? Good. And here's the deal. Here's the cool thing. If we all just take that next step, Maple Grove will become more the church that God wants her to be. And that's why we're here. And the decisions involved, you know, belong, engage, grow, and serve. But again, part of living your life on mission is to share your story. Jesus said, before he went up into heaven, he said, you'll receive power in the Holy Spirit. You know what our first few songs are about, Holy Spirit? Because we want him here today, and he's here. Oh, my goodness. 
comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And, and what do witnesses do? They, they basically tell their what? They tell their story. And here are several things I want to talk about in regards to sharing your story. Number one, it's not an option for you to share your story as a Jesus follower. Paul writes, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, and here's the good news, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now that's some really, really good news. So it's not an option. You, you see, uh, the Great Commission is, is not a choice to consider, but a command to obey. And not a choice to consider, but it's a command to obey. And it's also not an option to the lost people who are suffering and in danger who need to hear the good news. Remember those four lepers in 2 Kings? Eating, drinking wine, crashing out, eating again, drinking more wine, getting more gold, more silver. This is so good. This is the best day of my life. 2 Kings 7, 9, I love this. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is the day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. They're like, hey, this is not right. This is a day of good news and, and we aren't sharing with anyone. You see, it's not right for you and I to enjoy the peace and the comfort and the love and the forgiveness and the family and the belonging and the purpose and the power that we get from God, it's not right if we just enjoy it for ourselves and we don't share that. I want to show you a video clip. I think I'm pronouncing the guy's last name right. Penn Gillette or is it Gillett? Gilliet? You know that little comedian or whatever the dude is? Who knows how to say his name? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Hey, there's a great stadium named, by, named Gillette, by the way. Um, but, but anyhow... This clip, some guy came after one of his shows. He's an atheist, if you didn't know it. And a guy came up after him after a show, and he gave him a Bible. And it really had an impact on him. And here, here's what he said about it. Wow. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Powerful. Okay, so it's not, it's not an option. Another thing about sharing our faith, it's not what you think. I think sometimes we don't want to share our story in faith because we think we're going to have to put on a, a tie and a white shirt and knock on somebody's door or hold up a sign on a street corner, repent, the kingdom of God is near, right? Or pass out tracts to people who are trying to avoid you. And not only do I not think that is very effective, I don't really think that is what God is asking us to do, right? See, what I'm convinced God is wanting us to do is to Reach out to the people who are already in our sphere of influence, our Jerusalem, if you will. And like, who's in your Jerusalem? Well, it's, it's family and friends, for one, that you already know. I mean, they know you, they're, uh, they're right beside you, but yet they're light years away from God. And, and what God is wanting you to do is to intentionally begin to, to deepen those relationships and begin to actively play the part that God wants you to pay, play in pointing them to Christ. And then there's people that you could get to know, right? Now, they're all around us, uh, like uh, 
Maybe you don't even know their name. Maybe it's like the, that familiar face at the gym, right? You always seem to be working out together at the same time. Uh, maybe it's the neighbor down the road. You wave at each other, but it's never really been more than that. You know, maybe it's the server at the restaurant where you like to eat. Maybe it's the coworker down the hall or the desk sitting next to you. Uh, maybe it's the classmate of yours in high school or college. Maybe it's the mom or dad who stands on the sidelines with you as your kids run up and down the soccer field. Maybe it's a client or patient who comes into your office several times a year, or the cashier at the BP, BP station, or the person at Kroger or Howard's Teeter or Food Line or wherever who scans your food. Have you ever considered that God has placed you within, has brought them within your Jerusalem to alter their eternal destiny? Do you think that's possible? And a challenge for a lot of us is the longer we become Christians, the less contact we have with people who are not. A guy named John Aldrich did a study. He said after being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-believer. Now think that one through in your mind. Like in your mind, like scroll through your contact list on your cell phone. Like how many people there are far from God? If you're like me, not that many. Now, for the first 13 years of my Christian walk, from 19 years old to 32, it was easy for me to be around non-Christians because I served with them on board a submarine and I waited tables with them at a, at a restaurant. But for the last 27 years, I've worked full-time in a church and I have to be more intentional. And yeah, I talk to people who fall from God who walk through these doors, but outside, I have to be more intentional. Here's some ideas to help us become more intentional to develop these friendships. Practice strategic consumerism, right? Everybody eats, everybody goes to the store, everybody gets their hair cut, right? Well, go to the same place, try to get in the same line, right? And, and, and get to know the people there. Like, I, I, I got really pumped about this yesterday morning. I, I said, I'm going to Food Line right now. I'm going to find someone I see at Food Line. There's this dude... The guy out there, super nice guy, his name is Al. I said, Al, hey. And we started talking. I said, hey, I'm going to invite you to church. You know? And I just said, man, you're always smiling. Every time I walk by, you say hi. You got a smile on your face. You're out there getting carts in the rain. And he goes, oh, yeah. He just, I saw him stick it in his wallet, right? I said, okay, that's cool. You know, maybe go have lunch with somebody. Invite someone over to watch the game. And then maybe see at that mom or dad, hey, you guys want to you, you go to Martin's after the game and grab a burger or something? Help a neighbor with the project. Or my favorite, let your neighbor help you with the project. <laughs> I actually brought a guy to Christ because he helped me with the project all the time. It's like, hey, I'm bringing the Lord and you're fixing my plumbing leak. It worked fine. <laughs> but be strategic. Think of ways just involve yourself. The Bible says this, based on my experience, most people who wind up in the kingdom of God can trace their salvation back to a single life-changing conversation with a Jesus follower. Okay, raise your hand if you have any family members, co-workers, or classmates that are far from God that need to know about the love and hope that you have. Anybody? Okay, good. And raise your hand if you think that the ultimate goal of your life is to see how many of them you can have on each elbow as you cross the finish line and run into the presence of Jesus Christ. And one more question, will you become more intentional? And next Sunday is just a great day to do that, right? 
hey, we're having an invite Sunday at our church. We'd like you to come. You know, we're going to have a barbecue afterwards. We're going to have a cornhole tournament, you know, and the message is going to be about, um, you know, the reckless love of God. You know, I'm talk about how much God loves them. I think everybody, I need to hear that. Maybe you do too. Number three, you don't need to know everything to share your story. Like, like one of my favorite witnessing stories in the entire New Testament is the blind guy that Jesus heals. Remember, Jesus spits in mud, makes mud pies, put it on the guy's eyes. He says, hey, go wash it off. Uh, the guy does that. Now he can see. The religious people get all bent out of shape because the guy should have been in church rather than getting his eyes washed and healed, right? Uh, crazy what religious people get upset about. And then they begin to interrogate him. What's going on? They let him go. They bring him back in a second time. And we read this. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind. Now I can see. And, and, and circle those th three words. I don't know. See, I'm convinced that sometimes we're afraid to share our faith because we're afraid of those hard questions. What if they ask me about the dinosaurs, you know? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? How, how do you know the Bible's true? Who did Adam and Eve's children marry anyway? And what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? And it just starts going downhill. But, but I think three of the best words that you could ever say is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The guy says, I, I don't know. The answer to that, well, I'll tell you what I do know. I know that I was blind, and, and I know that I can see. And so when you're sharing with people, hey, do the best you can to answer their questions, right? Say, no, I don't know about that, but you know what I do know? I know what Jesus has done in my life. I know the difference having him in my life has made. I know the peace that I have that I, that I didn't have. And sorry, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Remember, we're called to be a witness, not a salesman, not an attorney. And a witness just says, hey, here's what happened to me. Here's my story. Number four, you don't have to be perfect because you're not. I was going to say, turn to the people next to you and say you're not perfect, but that's really, that's really not going to go well. Um, though some of you would love to say that right now. But have you ever felt like you're disqualified in sharing your faith in the gospel because... You have flaws, sins, struggles, and failures. Listen, that's not true. You're not disqualified. Because what you're sharing his story, right? You're sharing the gospel. You're sharing the Christ, and those things are perfect. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. We do not preach ourselves but Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, not all that impressive. They got some cracks in it, and they leak sometimes. To show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. No, I'm not perfect, but I know someone who is. And every day he's making me a little bit better. Number five, pray and ask the Holy Spirit about timing. Does the Holy Spirit want people to come to Christ? Is the Holy Spirit smarter than we are? Do you think the Holy Spirit understands timing? Here's just an example. And, and, and Acts chapter 8, right, there's this guy, Ethiopian eunuch, had just left worshiping God at the temple. He's in his chariot driving back home, and, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, and God kind of supernaturally beams Philip to him. We read in Acts 8.29, then Philip, 
the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Ethiopian eunuch said, hey, what is this guy talking about? I don't understand. Is the guy Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? And they began to preach the gospel. And then we read this. As they're traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. Why? What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And so we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit about timing and, and to show us the right person. And, you know, there's this prayer that we talked about back in the spring of 2016. You know, and, and, I don't know if it took enough root in your life. It didn't take enough root in my life. Just pray for one prayer. You know, Lord, give me one person that I can share your love and gospel with today. And to pray that every day. To wake up praying that every day so our eyes are open looking for opportunities. Do you think God would like to answer that prayer? He, he may not want to answer the prayer about the car, new car, you're getting a new job, but that's a prayer that God wants to answer. I'll never lose your sense of urgency because people without Christ are lost. They're not just having a bad day. They're lost and they face a terrifying forever. Paul says this, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. You know anybody like that? We all raised our hands, didn't we? They'll be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That's, that's where they're heading that we raise our hands for right now. Paul says now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And why now? Because none of us are promised tomorrow, right? Guess what? One day, you're not going to get another tomorrow, right? <laughs> One day will be your last day, and you don't know. You don't know. So now is the time, right? You don't wait. Uh, number seven, sharing your story. It's not always about scoring a touchdown. You know, it's not about you meet somebody, you share your story, you share the gospel, and they say, drive me to the creek, I want to get baptized, right? That's, doesn't, that's not, it's not about scoring a touchdown all the time, right? I, I, I like what Paul said. I planted the seed, Paulus watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul said, you know what? I, I, I got the ball to midfield, and Apollos took it to the red zone. If you don't know football, I'll, I'll speak another language. You know? But God's the one that got it across the goal line. You just do your part. And Holy Spirit will guide you. Your, your part could be small. It could be big, right? But just do your part. And then you need to be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And, and when it comes to being prepared... You need to know two stories. You need to be ready to share two stories. First, your story, and then God's story. And your story, the basic focus is this. This is a, here's the difference Jesus made in my life. Before Jesus, my life was like this. After Jesus, my life is like this. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be able to tell everybody everything. Like the woman in John 4 met Jesus at the well, right? I mean, she hadn't been to Bible college yet, hadn't attended one Bible study anywhere. She goes back to town and says, hey, you know what? I just met this guy, and like he knows everything about me. 
and yet he still offered me living water? Like, you think he could be the Messiah, right? That's all she knew, and they flooded out, right? That's all you need to do. I have some sheets up here, and I'm going to put in my email um, this week as well. It's just this little sheet right here about telling your story, right? You know, it's like an elevator speech, I call it, right? Yeah, because you want to, every, if you older people like me, you, the movie Airplane, remember the guy just kept going on and on and on? I mean, you don't want to put people to sleep. Well, I was born in Baltimore in February 4th, 1960. You know, I, I, I took my first, I don't, you, you lose them, right? Hey, Here's what Jesus difference made in my life. And then you let them ask you questions, right? Like I have those sheets up. You got to be ready. You got to know your story. And then you got to know God's story. Because they're like, hey, well, you know, you think God could do that for me? And you go, yeah. Well, then you're like, well, how can I get right with God? And do you, are you prepared of what to say and what scriptures to use? Well, I want to help you with that as we wrap up today. It'll go quick, but you can look at this. This is just give you a good outline. Four things that people need to know. Number one, that God loves them and has an awesome plan for their life. There's people who raise their hands, I need to know that. For God so loved the world. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. It, see, God's plan for their life is that their life will be full and satisfying and abundant do you think anybody out there in this world needs to know that they can have an abundant life, a satisfying life, a full life, a meaningful life? So you let them know, hey, you know, they need to know that God loves them and has an awesome plan for their life. And I'll be drilling down in God's love next week, big time. They need to know that sin separates people from experiencing God's love and plan. You see, there's two problems with sin. Two main problems, right? Number one, sin separates, right? Sin separates. It separates us from God. Isaiah put it this way, your iniquities or sins have separated you, have, have made a separation between you and your God. Romans 6.23, you may have heard this one, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death is separation. Physical death is a separation of our spirit from our body. Spiritual death is a separation of our spirit from, from God. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. The second problem with sin is like we all have the same problem. We're all in the same boat. Like everyone who's ever drawn breath on this planet has this problem. Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. And Paul says in Romans, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that's the bad news. The bad news is the people who raise their hands for, they are drowning in shark-infested waters. The good news is Jesus is throwing out a life preserver. That Jesus has paid the penalty for their sin. I mean, I'm sure you've seen pictures like this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, to die for me, to die for you, while you were still a sinner. We've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we can never pay. They need to know that God loves them, has a plan for the life, that 
you know, that, that sin separates them from that plan and that love and that, that, that Jesus paid the penalty, he paid the price, and they need to know that salvation is available to them. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. We're saved by grace through faith. And, and when, you, when you look at the New Testament, you, you see that, that saving faith involves four things. Saving faith believes, right? It believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, that he lived a sinful life, that he rose from the grave for our salvation. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, and these are all in your notes, so you have this little cheat sheet you can put in your Bible when you share your story and God's story. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Saving faith also repents. It's, it's willing to turn from their sin and to make God the, the boss and Lord of our lives. And say, God, I live for me, now I'm living for you. Peter, in his second sermon in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, said, Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, you notice he didn't tell those people to believe. You know why? They already believed. He didn't need to tell them to do something they already had done, right? Um, next, saving faith confesses that Jesus is both their Lord and Savior, right? We, everybody, we love the Savior part, don't we? Woohoo! There's a Lord part too, right? And he's in charge. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're the Lord, I'll, I'll do what you say, I won't debate what you say, and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And then lastly, we see that saving faith is baptized, is immersed in the Christ. Every baptism you see in the New Testament is immersion because that's what the word means. Again, Jesus said whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Peter, in his first sermon ever preached, first time the gospel ever preached to lost people who were convicted of who Jesus was and they needed help, Peter replied, repent to be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, St. Peter wrote this in his letter. This water, talk about the flood, waters of the flood that wiped away an evil world. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, no magic in the water, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you, baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One day a guy, three days after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, a, a guy that Paul was rooming with, said, now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And, and Guys, a lot of people struggle with baptism, right? Like, I don't get it. Like, how could, be, how could that help you be saved? Well, how could marching around the walls of Jericho blowing trumpets make the walls fall in? I don't, doesn't make sense to me. God just said do it, right? You know, right? How, how could washing mud off my eyes cure my blindness? I don't know, it's just what Jesus said to do. A funny thing, when you do what Jesus said to do, he'll actually do what he said he would do. Does that make sense? And I think sometimes we just want to argue with him. We're saved by grace through faith. 
I mean, talk about a deal. We've sinned, we've blown it, we incurred a debt, and Jesus paid that debt for us. It's all by grace, unearned, undeserved, through faith. And I want to wrap up with a loaf of bread. By the way, this is my favorite bread. I don't know about you. Nature's own honey wheat is like, it is so stinking good. Three bucks at your local grocery, Sam's, you're paying about four, four bucks, a little bit more for two loaves, right? It's like, I love this bread. It's the best. And, and, and it's here for a reason, right? Because I could go home and make me a sandwich. But, but other than that reason, it is, I want to say two things. First, as Jesus followers, we got to make sure we don't forget the bread. You ever gone to grocery store? I have to get bread. And I go there, whoa, they got a deal on Granny Smith apples. Look at this. I fill up my cart or my hand cart. I should have got a bigger cart, right? Because now, you now you're trying to balance this thing. And I get home. And Laurie goes, so, where's the bread? <laughs> well, I, I got you this. And, and you know what? We can get so involved, right? We're doing our Bible studies. We're showing compassion. We're having worship at church. All good things, right? But we forget the bread. We forget that we have one really main job, and that's to take the bread of life, which is Jesus, to people who need him. So I'm saying as a church, hey, let's grow, let's serve, let's engage, but let's always make sure that we don't forget the bread. And number two, I would just say that, you know, have you opened up the bread? Because until I open up this loaf of bread, it's not going to help me very much, right? You know, and the crazy thing is, in that story with the, the lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7, some of the people that heard the news thought it was a trick. Ah, that can't, that's too good to be true. And they're, they're just hiding out in the woods waiting to take us captive, right? You mean I can be saved from my sins? That. You, you mean serving God will really make my life more happier? Oh, that, 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 that. You know, make sure you open up the loaf. And uh, we're going to sing a song. And, and uh, what we're going to do on the song, you're going to find at each kiosk in the back as well, these four cards. Um, and one is like belong, right? And if you or say, hey, today I want to belong to God, right? You will take that card. You can keep one and bring it to me, right? Say, I want to share my life to Christ and be baptized today. We can... Right? Or you pick the, say, hey, I, I want to join Maple Grove. Then what you do is you'll, you'll, you'll check, I want to belong to the church. You'll drop that in the basket. And you always take one card with you, right? Sign the card, drop it in the basket. Hey, I want to join Maple Grove. And then you know, we'll, we'll get with you during the week and, and, and uh, just chat with you about being a member here and what's involved in that. Uh, we also have Grow, right? And you may say, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to make a commitment to one of these growth habits or all of these growth habits. And you'll just... There's a little box here you can check, and you'll check that off, drop it in the basket, and we'll grab your card. And what someone will be doing, they're going to be taking all those cards and putting, we have this really awesome, amazing chain link fence back there, right? You can see a silhouette of a cross on it, and we're going to, all our decisions are going to be placed on there um, today, right? And probably not during the service, it may take a little bit longer than that. Maybe, maybe yours is going to be serve, right? You're like, and it says on here, hey, I would like to serve here, and you know where. Or maybe you're like, hey, I don't know where to serve, but... I know that God wants me to serve, and you, you do that, and we'll get with you and talk to you about it, right? And, and then there's engage, right? You're going to say, you know what? 
I'm going to make a commitment to show compassion in my community. So we're going to find out where it is, right? You know, I, you know personally, that's, that's kind of mine when I did. I'm checking mine. Like, you know, I, I don't know exactly where that is. You know, I called the chaplain at the jail. I'm going, to, I'm going to visit there. Am I supposed to go there? I don't know. I'm going to try it about a bunch of different things to find out, hey, where is that thing besides church that you want me to do in the community? Um, or maybe you're like, hey, I, I'm going to find that one person that God brought in my life, you know, I'm going to begin to share the gospel with. So what, what's going to happen is, right, you're going to, we're going to sing the song and we're going to, we're going to go through, you're going to do these cards. They're at each station. You put a card in the basket, sign it, take a card with you to remind you. And then, you know, we have these little awesome Amazing things here, like when you put your card in the basket, you'll go. And each time we hear that bell, that means that somebody in this room has made a decision that they're taking the next step and living the life that God created them to live. I hope that makes sense. I know it's a lot of direction, but you are like the smartest people I've ever seen in the world, right? That's what people say when, you know, when they mean it. I'm going to pray. And, and so after the song, you hear some music playing. And, you know, as you're singing a song, ask the Holy Spirit, what step do I need to take? He knows. You know, ask the Holy Spirit, help me not to be afraid. I'll break down my pride. That's going to tell me I'm not going to fill out no card. I don't need to fill out no card to move my life on. You know, that's, don't, don't do that. Just say, break down my pride, break down my fear. And what can I do? You know, and... and, and and after the song, we'll take communion. You can fill out these cards if you want to think about it. If you don't want to do it today, that's fine. Um, and, and then um, the team will come back up. And during the time you hear a song playing, um, um, I'm king of my heart. But let's just stand and sing right now. I'm going to pray. Forgive me for my bad job of giving directions probably. And again, if you're making a decision to, again, you sign a card basket, ding, put a card in your pocket. If you're making a decision to surrender to Christ for the first time, bring the belong card to me. God, we love you. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that you're here. <laughs> you say that when we don't know what to pray, you can straighten it out. And I'm sure that when I don't know what to say, you can straighten it out. And God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the bread of life that's giving us life. Thank you that that we no longer have to starve, God, that we can enjoy hope and love and peace that, that is only found in you. God, just protect us from the evil one who does not want us to have this abundant life that is only found in you. Holy Spirit, just open up our hearts and minds right now. May we listen to you and may we build our life upon you and your love and your promise and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.